Welcome back to another episode of MJ's Progress Not Perfection. Today's guest is Hannah. Hannah and I discuss her years of drug use, different raids that she was part of. And yeah, I said raids with an S because she has been part of different situations where she was raided more than one time. It's definitely a wild story, but it's her story. And she's doing great right now. And we talk all about that, especially her before and after, which is what got my attention in the first place. We're part of an opiate group together on Facebook. She posted her before and after when she celebrated three years sober. And I just said, like, holy shit, I got to talk to this girl and I got to find out more about this story. So here we are and here's the story. Welcome to the show, Hannah. Hi. So... I am so glad that we were able to figure this out, you know, because, like, are you, you're on work release. Yeah. So you have, like, a certain schedule of when you're home and when you're there? Yeah. So I go back um, Tuesday nights, and I'm, like, in the facility till um, Thursday mornings. Okay. So, like, two nights there and five nights at home? Yeah. And they're, like, probably strict with monitoring, like, making sure that when you get picked up, it's, like... So... I don't know. It's like no consistency, honestly, so it's hard to say. Um, I don't know. They like pick and choose. Okay. Well, you're, you're, yeah, you're working a program at least, so at least you have some kind of, you know, restraint. And how much time do you have now clean? So on the 12th, I had three years. That is awesome. Yeah. so, and you're clean from which, what, what pills did you have to, like, detox from? Or not pills, but medicine, like, medicines, <laughs> drugs, <laughs> or you detoxing um, from? I mean, from heroin, and then, like, I was a big, like, crack smoker, and I was shooting coke, and pretty much everything. Just put whatever was put in front of you. Yeah. Now, what grabbed my attention from you is the before and after that I will be showing on the screen right now. Yeah. Because it is pretty dramatic. Like, yeah. you, you look amazing now. <laughs> I don't know if anyone's told you that. Um, so that before, I had read something that you were arrested with, like, $82,000 worth of drugs. Yeah, that's what, yeah. They, that's what they say, yeah. That's what they say. I mean, they, the numbers, you know, the numbers, you know, 295 grams of uh, dope, and I think it was 265 of crack and 60 grams of coke. Yeah. That adds up. Yeah, it does. <laughs> that adds up. So what were you doing to accumulate that kind of weight? So it's like where I live is a smaller area, and people have been coming here from, like, New York City, like, um, Jersey City, all of those places for as long as, like, I can remember um, to sell drugs. So I just always got involved with those people. And then it became easier for me to sell, have whatever I needed to get high and to sell whatever I needed to stay high. So, okay, we'll backtrack then. When did you start, like, discovering drugs or alcohol? Um, in high school, I'd say, like, my sophomore year, like, when I was 15, um, I was, like, drinking every weekend and smoking weed. And then, like, we would be popping ecstasy a lot of the time on the weekends. And then the night I graduated high school is the first night I graduated at 17. So at 17, that was the first night I did like cocaine. Okay. And then like from there, like I would smoke crack sometimes and then opioids really became a problem 
probably a couple of years after that. So, you know, Coke, I can see being thrown around graduation parties and stuff like that. Um, but how does crack get introduced? Because that's not like usually a party drug. Um, I think I always hung out with like a lot of older people, like my cousins and their older friends, and they would have it around like when we were partying and stuff. So like that's kind of how that happened. And it wasn't an everyday thing then. And that didn't even happen until probably after like I was addicted to heroin. Oh, okay. So you you discovered heroin before you got it really into crack. Yeah. How did you discover her was it just people you were hanging out with again and they did it and you were just like, that looks interesting? So where I live on the Canadian border, there's um the oxy 80s like the cvms were really big um like the green ones remember and you have to take the coating off so those were like really big then like everybody was doing them here oh so how old are you then because you don't look like you're in your 30s but that you would have to have been i just turned 30 september 4th okay that makes sense okay because like you know for those who don't know like you the green coating like that coating on the 80s that went away in like 2009 so, which means you were like 19, which makes sense, 18, yeah. 19, when they went away. And then you probably were like, well, I guess I'm just going to go straight to dope now. Yeah. So those, t- so those people who were coming up from the cities, like always bringing like, they were bringing just Coke for like years. Like that's what people were doing. We're partying and doing like Coke. So when, when the CVMs went away is when they started bringing up heroin kind of thing. Yeah, that makes sense because yeah. a lot of people either went to 30s or they went to dope, yeah. depending on like what their standards or not standards, but rules were. Because a lot of us addicts, you had rules for yourself, you know. Yeah. And then other addicts were, you know, what they what I've been told is garbage addicts were like, put it in front of me and I'll do it. Yeah. And I think I've heard that term from like four different people I've interviewed. Oh, I was a garbage junkie. Put it in front <laughs> of me and I would do <laughs> do it. So. um when did it take long for you to know that you were like an addict addict like you were addicted i think it did so in the beginning even um i didn't use like oxys every day i was using them with my son's father and then my like addiction didn't escalate really until after i had him i was like 21 um i had him when i was 21 and eddie my son's father was in and out of jail and i was working three jobs and that's like when it escalated for me, like that September, I want to say I started shooting up. Um, so you were like pretty good for nine months then. Yeah. Yeah, you were like safe, like you were like being like safe, like you wanted to make sure you were like, and you were working hard having three jobs. Yeah. Drug addicts don't work three jobs usually. Yeah. You know, that's just somebody who's trying to provide for their kid. I, you know, but I could see if, you know, the ex was in and out of jail then that would have been stressful. And then postpartum itself, like, did you experience any postpartum? It's hard to say because, you know, like, when you're using like that, you don't really see, like, what's really there. So I don't even know, honestly. Yeah, because I, 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 e- I could see the stress of, you know, him being in and out being a lot to weigh on, on top of, you know, when a lot of mothers, you know, according to my wife, because I don't know shit, I'm a man, never had a kid but according to my wife a lot of mothers don't even know they're having postpartum until it's even too late so you could have been medicating you know for you know baby dad being in jail and then actually compensating for postpartum while medicating yeah um so i could see it escalating between stress of both 
Um, but you had to help with the kid, though, at least, with him being in and out. Yeah, I lived, um, at that time, I lived with my parents, and they've always been a big help, so. Well, that's good, then, that they were able to, like, watch over him this way. You didn't have to, like, feel like you were being neglectful. Yeah. Like, that had to, like, I'm sure that's helpful, because a lot of people, they're like, I don't know, I just, I had to give up rights. And I didn't, did you go home a lot? Or were you staying out? Um, no, so then, even, like, in the beginning, like, I went home every night, it was just kind of, like, I always made sure I had enough dope to get up in the morning and to, like, um, go to work, and then I waitress, so I always had money at the end of the night, so, you know what I mean, it was just, like, a vicious cycle. And then, eventually, did you, like, buy from somebody that you didn't realize was high, like, what, how did, like, you all of a sudden go from working a bunch just to support your habit and your kid to, like... I'm going to be full-fledged into this life. Did you meet somebody at some point? Um, I don't know if I can really pinpoint it. I know at one point, me and Eddie, my son's father, we were, we're like working together with like guys from New Jersey. And then at that, after that, when I had stopped working, yeah, I stopped working and we were like selling stuff for people in New Jersey. And then I ended up getting indicted on a sales charge, just me. And that was in like 2015 or 16 or something. And um, I went to jail for like two weeks for the first time. It was horrible. <laughs> and um, I Is it the up... same jail you're in now? No, this was like county jail. Okay, okay. So I ended up getting drug court and I went to a 30-day treatment program in Buffalo. Then I went to a like a long-term inpatient, Horizon Village in Sanborn, New York, um, which is really awesome there. And then I ended up doing a halfway house in Syracuse for a few months. And I was on drug court doing really well. I was on Vivitrol, actually, at the time. Um, and then I moved home and started dating a guy who sold drugs for whatever reason. It's always, like, this problem I have. And I did fine for a little while, but still was, like, breaking rules, you know, old behaviors and stuff. So I eventually started using again. And actually what happened was we ended up doing, like, Molly or something, and I was on drug court. And I took a drug test, and I failed for Coke. And I was like, what? Like, I really didn't even do that. So they ended up um, recommending long-term treatment again, and I'm like, I'm not doing that again. So I just went totally full-fledged until they picked me up on the drug court warrant. Oh, so you when you got arrested later on, like, with with everything, you already had a warrant against you. I already had a... I was already a convicted felon, so I had done... I ended up, like, pleading out to a county year. So I ended up doing, like, the eight months in county jail, and that was, like... I got home on, like, no papers or anything. And that was in September 2017. That was all said and done. Okay. And then you went right back into it again. Pretty much. Like, that first weekend home, I believe I was smoking crack. And I didn't go, like, full-fledged into everything. But I was going out, like, to the bars a lot. Um, well, how were those eight months then? Because, like, if it, it doesn't seem like it really affected you, you're just like, right, like, you know what? I'm good. I'm right back in it. Uh, Not to say that you didn't learn your lesson, but I mean, I, but you did get right back into what got you there. <laughs> yeah, no, I learned my lesson, and um, 
I don't know, counting just wasn't a big deal to me. I just didn't. The first two weeks were scary, but the last eight months were easy. Huh? The first two weeks sucked, but the last eight months were easy. I already adjusted, and I was like, whatever, I don't care. Send me to jail, is what I told them. So. Well, I guess, like, if they give you, if, when you did your two weeks, did you know it was going to be two weeks, or that all of a sudden they were like, okay, you can go home now? Uh, No, I didn't know it was going to happen. I remember I had found out I had, like, an indictment. So I actually went and turned myself in and I was like, I'm going to be released Monday at court because I don't have a criminal record at all. I'm not even a misdemeanor. They're going to let me go. And I remember I was at the courthouse and my lawyer who took my case, he was like, no, you're not going home. I was like, what do you mean? I'm not going home. Like tears in my eyes, everything. I was like, what? So yeah, but then you're in, I'm like in a small area and I know everybody in the county jail, the officers went to high school with my parents like you know what I mean so ever it wasn't that people easy. started vouching for you and all of a sudden like they let you go early not early but like after two weeks no so I did like the drug court evaluation and they released me to treatment oh okay so yeah I guess the two weeks would feel longer at least like when you get eight months you're like okay I have eight months let's yeah. go eight months let's do it as opposed to those two weeks could feel like forever when you don't know when it's going to end. Yeah. So I could see that's why. Nine years for each felony, and you're like, what? What? (laughs) (laughs) For what? I was just selling and doing drugs, a lot of them. Yeah. (laughs) All right, so now you're out of eight months, you know, not not learn your lesson, (laughs) and you're like right back, and you start, when you started dating this new dude, did you already know that he sold drugs before you were like yes i'll date you sir or was it like oh i'll date you oh my god he sells drugs but i like him already so i'll stick around so that was when so that was before the eight months right because what had happened what had happened was was i had started using again and his house got raided and i was there so then they how put was out, that experience um it was like federal, so it really sucked. <laughs> Can you tell me some of it? Because, like, you know, I don't hear a lot of federal raids. So I was there. It was actually the day after Valentine's Day. And I remember I was asleep and I heard him like banging around the house. And I get up and like, what's going on? He's like, the cops are out front. So I had already like started using. So I assumed it was for me. I was like, I'll just go downstairs and say, like, uh, you can take me or whatever, it's fine. He's like, no, we're not doing that. I was like, okay. So he starts like emptying out the safe and he's, there's like a door connected to the other apartment. It's like weird how it was set up. So he was like putting everything down there. I remember like handing him all the stuff and like, so I closed the door and put him and he stayed back there. So when the cops came in, it was just me sitting there. Right. So they're like, Hannah, what the fuck? They know me obviously too. It was, um, not your first rodeo no the town police and like homeland security or whatever they do and i remember they came in and the homeland security guy is like cuffing me and he was like do you want to go to jail this and that have you ever been to jail and the cops are like oh she's been all right (laughs) they're like where's where's uh what'd they say jamal and like that wasn't even his name i was like who the fuck's jamal like what so Eventually, they ended up figuring it out anyways. They went into the other apartment. So we went to jail. And because it wasn't my place, I actually got released. 
but then there was the warrant circulating for breaking my drug court, um, my drug court um, contract, obviously. So when I went to court, it was like a big deal because they're like, you were found in an apartment with whatever, 60 grams of Coke, whatever it was, uh, two loaded guns. And I was like, oh God. And then you told your outpatient counselor, you said, told her to, you would rather be incarcerated. I was like, okay, great. So that's when I knew. You're going to be incarcerated. Yeah. <laughs> so wait, you got caught with 60 grams of Coke twice? Well, because that's not the raid that was, that's not the same raid that you're in jail for now. No. So you got, so technically you were in a place where you had 60 grams, because that, that report said 60 grams of Coke. Like I have, I found the picture and like in the article that I'm going to put up here so like they can see yeah. it, they, there was 60 grams of Coke then. So that means that's, that's so like coincidental that like it, you had that amount I'd twice. I'd up it to see exactly, maybe it was 40 or 60. But still, but still you had weight, you know what I mean? It was, that's, that's weight. That's not like a little bit. <laughs> that's like, you know, a couple ounces right yeah i'm doing a math right. and 28 yeah it's so funny that the only reason i know ounces and those conversions is because of drugs yeah. like i wouldn't know those could i didn't know those conversions in school no. <laughs> <laughs> so you're like all right send me to jail i'm gonna go to jail and did you ever see goodfellas no actually uh, okay there's a great line where ray leota gets in the cop car and he's like all right send me to jail like take me to jail like he's okay yeah. with it he's like all right take me to jail because like that was like his home away from home at that point yeah. just to like get away and like you know reset the mind mm -hmm. um funny enough that jail in real life is actually like a half an hour from me in pennsylvania that's where they sent all the italian mafia guys from new york always um oh, really? Lew yeah lewisburg jail in pennsylvania is like a half an hour from me and that's where like a lot of mafia people went and back in the day cause it's a federal prison um so now you did your eight months and you get out and you just get right back with your boyfriend that you got arrested with no no he went to the feds for some time oh okay so that was like really short-lived then i just got out and was doing my own thing going out um on the weekends drinking um yeah what do your parents think are you the only addict in the family um in my like direct like my mom my dad my sister my brother yes i have other cousins though who are addicts um so were they like experienced at all in this or were they like really like lost in what was going on with you i think my mom's like done a lot of like um educating herself throughout like different groups and stuff on facebook she's a part of but i don't know i think I'm like, oh, uh, it's fine. I can just go out. It's fine. Like, it's not a big deal. I'm going out for the weekend. And then it just kind of escalated, and there was nothing they could really do or say, I guess. I, I could see that. They get You get to a point where, like, if your mom's the type of person where she's educating herself, like Al-Anon and Facebook kind of support, then she knows that she can't interfere yeah. because it'll just push you away further. So all she can really do is kind of sit back and, hope that everything falls apart but you don't get hurt and then this way you can you know what happened basically so she definitely played it right because you definitely could have been like pushing her away so luckily you knew you had a safe space to go if you needed one well eventually there came a time that year i was home where she completely kicked me out and was like you have to go you just have to go so i remember packing a duffel bag and just like going to one of the local spots and staying there and like all like the boys from jersey are there and i just got like 
close to them. So I was just always allowed there. You know what I mean? So I just stayed there with them. And then I eventually got my own place with one of them. And then things just escalated. That makes a lot of sense because that's what they tell everybody in their support groups is. And that's what I tell parents today. You know, that's what you have to do is you give them space. And then if they keep on taking advantage of it, you have to kick them out. You have to take action, you know, and you can't enable and you can't let them just continue to stay there. But you want to give them space first and then you kick them out. So she definitely played that perfectly, like out of the handbook of how you play. Any parents are watching, they're confused. You give them space and you kick them out if they're not, if they're still living there. Um, Definitely don't try to tell them what to do (laughs) because it's going to go really bad. Um, That's when people overdose, I think. I think when they're really rebelling against like the rules, what their parents are saying is when they really go harder. But I think, you know, we don't have when you don't have that shame or guilt as much every time that your parents are laying on you, then you don't actually go as hard. I don't know. It's just like one of those things that I've noticed. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, definitely don't try to push your kids into rehabs because they're not going to take it serious and let them want to go because it's not. Yeah. Um, So now you're just like now because I know how those Jersey guys are. I grew up in Jersey. Um, I did all of my drug use in Jersey, pretty much. Even when I lived in Pennsylvania, I was traveling to Jersey to buy. Um, so I, I do know, like, how, as a Jersey person, how you want to gravitate towards somebody who's local if you're out of the area and have them kind of sh- show you the ropes, you know, making mm-hmm. sure that, like, you have a local on your side. Mm-hmm. So I'm not even surprised whatsoever that <laughs> they found someone like you willing to be like, Yep, I got you. I'm loyal, and I'll, I'll take a drug rap for you. Let's do it. Right. Like, you were ready to take a drug rap for your ex that you barely were with. Um, like, he said, no, you're not going to say the drugs are yours. And when he went hiding in the other apartment, like, you were ready to say, oh, I'll just tell him these are mine. Yeah. You know, that's a loyal person that you'd yeah. want, you know, on your side as a drug dealer. Right. So I'm not surprised that they're like, yeah, Hannah, come on down. Like, yeah, yeah. you can stay and with like, us. This time they're like, you can tell on everyone that you're working with and we'll send you the shock six month long program boot camp and you can be home. I was like, no. And my lawyer's like, they, and then when I went to court, I was like, what about four years instead of five? And the judge is like, we gave you an offer and that's it. And that's all pretty much you're getting five years or you can choose the alternative. So that was the, what time? This time. Okay, so how um, long how long were you living with those dudes before you got arrested in 2018? 2018. Um, Did you get arrested September 2018? Yep. Okay, and 2017 is when you did your eight months. It's when I got released from my eight months. So I was oh. like a year and that was it. So, so and. Months. Um, probably the six to seven months, um, I was working with them. You had to have been going hard that summer leading up to September for you to look the way you did in the before. Yeah, it was bad. Like, what's, what do you, like, consider, like, bad for, like, use-wise? Like, I was doing, like, sometimes, you know, six to eight thirties a day, you know? So, like... And I talk to people, they're like, oh, I did like 20 to 30 gram milligrams of Xanax every day. It's like, that's a lot. You know, like, what do you consider, like, bad that summer? Um, it's so hard to even put a number on it. It was just, like, constant, and I had it at my disposal. Like, I could do whatever I wanted, had the code to the safe, you know what I mean? 
Um, so you, so yeah, I'm, you weren't really having to be like, oh, I'm going to buy three grams a day because you just had it in front of you in bulk to just go at your speed of whatever you wanted all day long and just stay high. And they trusted me. You know what I mean? Like they were always like, give her what she wants because she comes correct every time. So I just did what I wanted. Yeah. Um, it's easy to go on a crazy run when you don't have to pay for it, really. You know, all you have to do is like sell it to continue using it. Like that's an, not impressive. It's it's the first word to pop in my head. But like <laughs> you know, like you know, but that's the thing is like a lot of people they're like they struggle. They're like they'll have to sell their bodies. They'll have to be in sex trafficking. They'll have to steal, rob, you know, do whatever they have to do. Mm-hmm. And you're just like, oh, I just sell it and I can just keep on doing it. Yeah. And basically selling to be able to use for free. Yeah. You know, you're using your profits. Mm-hmm. You know. <laughs> Um, so that easily can get out of hand extremely fast. So now what happens the day you're arrested? What's going on that day? So we had been in like Jersey for like a few weeks, actually, before that, um, we were just getting everything together and we decided like today would be the day we're going to come up. Was it a few weeks? No, that was before that. We had lost our house and stuff where I lived because we were in Jersey for a few um, weeks. So we came back to my town the first time and ended up staying at this kid's house, another like kid that I knew. And he came to Jersey with us to like go back. And then when we came back up that day, we got raided. We were in my town for like maybe two hours before like the cops hit the door. But I remember like... So I actually have two co-defendants, um, Jay, my the one from Jersey, and then Dale, who was, like, my friend, who, like, you know, I smoked crack with, and he, like, ran shit for me and did whatever I needed, basically. So I remember Jay was asleep on the couch, and I was going to meet somebody to grab weed for him. And I walked outside, and the landlord was there, and he's like, you know, we don't want what's going on here going on and this and that so I remember I turned around and I was thinking in my head like it's time to go so I went in and I was like about to like get Jay up I remember I was about to take it to crack and before I even knew it the cops were I heard them say, them say Messina PD and I was like fuck so I pick up everything I could in my arms and we had just gotten back we had all of it and I'm friggin' flush, trying to flush, like, the bags of crack, but they're, like, 100-gram bags. And <clears throat> it did not work. The cops saw me flushing the shit and pretty much tackled me down. They're like, like, what the fuck are you doing? So that's where my additional, like, e-felony came from. Is that tampering with evidence? Yeah. And yeah, I was going to say, trying to flush that would be evidence. So, yeah, that makes sense. And that's a federal offense. Yeah. Everything we were charged state, like, Remember my lawyer saying, um, like, the feds wanted to pick the case up because I knew, like, like the state line thing and the amount of weight it was. Um, but because, I don't know, it's, like, weird how it worked because of, I ended up signing a plea deal before that could happen. And I guess if that happens, they can't. And I did that because of the person I am. I was worried about my co-defendant because he's already done, like, three bids. And if the feds picked it up, it would have been, like, serious time they have like five-year mandatory minimums and like i know how that works i've already dealt with it (coughs) so i ended up signing the plea for five like pretty quickly 
That makes a lot of sense. Yeah, because they could have still over like they would have to go jump through hoops to take it over. But at, by the time they jump through their hoops, if you already signed for the plea deal, they can't like yeah. reinvestigate a case that's been closed. Right. You know, especially when you sign a plea deal, it's not even closed and they lost. It's you know we won, we got a plea deal. Yeah. You know, so that's better that you end up just getting state charges because they easily could have hit federal for a lot of those too. Yeah, but my from lawyer- Jersey to New York, they're crossing state, like you said, yeah. My lawyer was like, I can get you a better deal, federal. And I was like, I'm not even going there. <laughs> and um, Yeah, because federal probation sucks. Yeah. Like, I, like, I know a guy that um, comes here sometimes, and he's on federal probation. <laughs> when he was, he was drunk, and he was mad at his girlfriend, and he decided to drive down to his friends in Virginia, and we're in PA. And he got off the wrong exit when he was drunk. Like, he was just drinking and driving. He was on a bender. Got off the wrong exit, ended up at a military base, and he couldn't turn around because he was already too far uh, into it. And because he got off the wrong exit, he thought he was going the right way. And they're like, "Are you drunk?" So he got a DUI on a military break on a military base, oh, so it became wow. federal offense. And now he's on federal probation. Wow. So even though he has a medicinal marijuana card, he can't use it because of federal probation doesn't really? recognize it, as opposed to Pennsylvania probation would have recognized it and let him use it. Yeah, like regular state <laughs> role in New York State, you can smoke weed now. Like Same, even with yep. But yeah. I have a work release inmate. Like for me, it's different because I have yeah. work parole. <clears throat> and, and you have to be careful though too, as like an addict. Like I use yeah. cannabis in my recovery. Um, I went to a rehab in Los Angeles called High Sobriety, and they taught me how to te- change my relationship with it. So, like, I've been using it since the very beginning, so I'm a little more confident and not, like, wanting to chase higher. But on top of that, like, I don't smoke because, you know, like you, I was addicted to everything right away. You know, like, I I snorted, I didn't eat it because I wanted to feel it right away. I would chug my drink and not sip it because I wanted So, like, I don't smoke weed because I don't want the instant gratification because that would send off those, you know, whatever my brain whatever be like oh okay we want it right away again so now i just use like i just microdose with edibles so yeah. that i take it and then i wait and then it doesn't even get me high like you wouldn't even know that i use it if i didn't tell you and i wasn't so open right. about it so yeah it is definitely something to be careful about even getting into using it in your recovery and i'm really open about it. i i do support it obviously i'm a product of it but mm-hmm. it's not for everybody Right. And it's definitely something that needs to have a lot of caution and a lot of openness with at least one person, like a sponsor or something that you, somebody that you trust, because it can easily take you back into a, you know, a binge or a bender if you're not careful with it. So just a heads up on anybody that's thinking about using cannabis in your recovery. I do support it, but only like in a sense that other people know you're doing it and you're being open with how you're using it mm-hmm. and what it's making you feel like. Because that's important. Honesty in your recovery is important, I think. Um, So now you're arrested. What's changed for you this time as opposed to before? Like, why is it working? Um, So as soon as I hit the door, I knew I was about to go to state prison. I knew there was no other way, um, obviously. Because I was already a convicted felon. Um, It's, like, hard to say when I... So I got to the county and I still, I remember initially I was trying to get out. I just wanted someone to bail me out. I just wanted to like keep doing what I was doing. Um, nobody bailed me out. So I sat and um, 
waited and waited. And then sometime in that time, I just had a complete like change and like my um, thinking. And I was like, I really just cannot live like this anymore. Like my son's getting older. He's going to remember things now. And it's tough. Even, and then it, when I'm in controlled environments, I don't ever get high anyways. Anytime I've been to like jail and stuff, I don't get high like that. Um, even if it's there, I just don't. Oh, so you were clean those eight months that you did before. Yeah. Okay. Yep. And those two weeks you did before. You yep. were good. Okay. So I've heard it both ways for sure. Like there's a lot of people that are like, oh, I was fucked up the entire time. In jail. Yeah. And then there's people like you where you're like, I couldn't enjoy it. I wasn't going to do it. I was just waiting it out. Yeah. That that Are they back again at the feds? <laughs> That's <laughs> the way you were looking out the window like, oh, shit. That door. <laughs> Someone's here. We got to get yeah. out. <laughs> yeah, flashbacks. Yeah. Uh, um, so now did you decide, are you working a program at all? Or are you doing a Vivitrol shot? Which route are you going? Um, I'm not on any. Hey, Dad. Yeah. Can you tell Timmy Carson's, can you get this yeah, here? My, the dog barks. Um, so, no, I'm not on any meds. Well, I'm on, like, mental health meds. So, like, there's, like, the Office of Mental Health um, in state prison here. So, I'm on, like, anxiety and depression stuff. So, um, you're dual diagnosed and you have some mental health stuff on top of. Yeah. Yeah. So, I take, like, Prozac, Buspar, Bistrol. But my new psychiatrist um, thinks I have, like, a thing called cyclothemia. What it's called? Cyclothemia? Cyclothemia. So it's, like, low-grade, like, kind of bipolar because my, like, mood swings don't last. Like, you know how, like, bipolar one, they last for, like, months at a time. People are in, like, these manic highs or these manic lows. Like, like quickly, it can be, like, hours where, like, my mood's, like, up here down here it's like very quick thing so she was like we can put you on a mood stabilizer for it or we can just wait and see because this is like finally like three years later I'm like I'm still feeling these things like I think I have something else so my new psychiatrist that's what she thinks but I was like I don't really want to be on any meds right now any other meds so I'm just like dealing with it yeah because you could always also work through things in therapy maybe yeah. Like where you can like you're even like if eventually if you want to do the steps, you could probably work through stuff in the steps where you can like find out where there's some like deeper things. Mm. Cause I know that helped with me, you know, like I don't have that where I'm not bipolar, but still I had stuff I had to work through. Right. You know, when I got sober, it wasn't just that I had to stop using drugs and alcohol. I had to like learn why I was using drugs and alcohol, you know, and so excessively because there was always something that's like deeply rooted. It's not just straight a party thing. It right. ter- It is eventually a medicating thing. So, and I feel like a lot of addicts are empaths. A lot of the ones at least I talk to. And I yeah. feel like we all like, since we feel everybody else's pain, yes. it's so heavy on us that we have to like take it away somehow. Mm-hmm. And people that yeah. aren't empaths, they don't feel shit. They're just like, oh, I'm good. <laughs> yeah crazy that's like the same thing I think I had because like I don't know I've always felt things like so deeply like people's pain and stuff it's always just like weighed on me so heavy I remember since I was like a teenager like keeping these crazy journals and like I don't know and that's a lot and it like 
I, I that's why I like doing this show is because you, I find out and I get to tell the people like you're definitely not alone. I would say out of like 30 people that I've talked to in this month, everybody is an empath, if not almost everybody. Right. Because I've talked to a lot of them about this, like how their how their feelings weighed and how that contributed. Some are just like, no, I just need to be fucked up and I had nothing to do with it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but most are like us. We're like, oh, yeah, like I was definitely I would always feel and I still do feel everybody's pain yeah. and all that kind of stuff. And but you learn to like not live with it, but you learn to manage it, mm-hmm. you know, and it's definitely through being open and honest. Like you just started a new Facebook page, right? Like for a group that I'll I'll put the link if anyone wants to talk about it and I'll put the link in the bio okay. or description. Yeah. OK, cool. So what's it for? What are you trying to accomplish with it? Well, like, I just know that like there's so much more that needs to be done like people are a lot more aware about addiction now I think but still like even talking to people they're like aware of it but they're like I just think it's a sign of being weak or um like I heard that the other day even people who are like in fully support of me they still don't understand I don't think and then just like the daily struggles like the incarcerated like individuals um, it's just really hard and I just want to be able to show the world like an insight of what it's like behind the walls which I'm not completely ready to do yet because I'm still in a program so it's like this fine line of what can I share and what can I not share because I don't want to lose my programming for it is that's how they operate um, but at least but, you're getting your story out there yeah yeah and I know like once I'm done this, like, I'm going to do, like, the peer, like, um, educator classes and all that. So, it's basically for me just to get, like, my foot in the door to spread awareness, to spread my story, and I just want to be able to help people. That's awesome. And the peer thing is amazing, too. Like, peer, like, to be a peer counselor, right? Yeah. Those are so important because, number one, I didn't know they existed in addiction. Did you? No. No, and I wish I did because I would have felt more comfortable talking to a peer counselor than any therapist or anything because they would have felt my struggle. You know, for those who don't know, a peer counselor is somebody who is like a therapist that didn't go to school to be a therapist, but they at least understand you because anybody that you talk to had the same struggles you had. Right. So, you know, I just found out about it because of running the mental health center that I run um, that we have a few people that come to a lot of meetings and actually one of them is on the board for us and they're a full-time peer counselor. And I just think it's amazing, you know, what they do. So I think it's an awesome program that, you know, a lot of people know about that more should. Right. Um, and if you are watching and you're stuck in active addiction, reach out to a peer counselor, just reach out to somebody, but the peer counselors are definitely awesome to talk to. Right. Um, how, how long is that program with you guys in New York? What the peer educator? Counselor. Yeah. Um, I know there's one like running where I am. It's just like six days. Like, well, yeah, uh, your qualifications are all your drug using and what you did. Like, those are your qualifications, really, to be a peer counselor is to have some craziness behind you. Yeah. So So it's a six day long thing, I think. But like, for me being in work release, like, I don't, there's just different rules for everything. So I'm just kind of waiting it out. That makes sense, because not much you can do anyway while you're still. No. That makes sense. So, and when are you, like, are you out, like, in two years? So, my um, 
like my merit release date, which is my earliest possible release date is March 31st, 2022. But then I'll be on regular parole, state parole. I have three posts, which would probably end up being a year and a half, but who actually knows? <clears throat> so by like the end of March, I should be like ready to like really like continue my life and to do the things I want to do. Cause also like in the state prison, I, um, I went, we have like college and it's like Madai college to Buffalo. So I got like 36 credits out of the way when I was there, but on work release, they don't let you take classes. So I have to wait to finish that out too. And what are you going to school for? I don't know. I change my mind every day. So you're getting all the general electives out of the way, at least this way yeah. you can at least con- do the concentration when you figure it out. Yeah. It's like well, all the stuff. I'm glad we got the chance to sit down and chat. Yeah. Like, cause you know, right now, like I know a lot of people can relate to what you went through and getting stuck in there and, you know, getting not stuck in relationships, but finding relationships that keep you stuck in it. Right. So thank you so much, Anna. I really appreciate it. Have a good day. You too. All right. Bye-bye.